Welcome back to the Decentralized Podcast, where we discuss innovative ideas and solutions in business and technology from unconventional and often overlooked sources. I'm your host, Tanner Lytle, and I'm here with my co-host, Wyatt Carson. There we go. All right. Well, back. welcome back to podcast number two. Made it two in a row, actually sticking with the thing. So really excited. Go us. Two weeks in a <laughs> row. Look at that. Yeah. So first thing I just wanted to start off with has been our past week. And just a big thank you to everybody who listened to the podcast, who subscribed to us on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or the many different places that we're posted now. The response has just been so positive and overwhelming. I had people texting me, messaging me, um, people I've saw in person. They're actually like, hey, I saw your podcast. And that's so cool. That was really great. Agreed. Um you know, we've talked about this. I, I think we, we got a lot of really solid support from our friends and family. And then it branched out. I, you know, I started receiving comments from coworkers, uh, people that report to me at work, which was kind of awkward. But at the same time, you know, it, it's cool to put out something that people actually enjoyed and not just there to support us because they like us, but they actually enjoyed and thought that the content was valuable, which is awesome. Definitely. Yeah. So how's your week been otherwise, Wyatt? Cold. <laughs> 18 degrees in Omaha last night, guys. Um, and I think tonight it's still going to be around the 30s. I don't know. No snow, but just freezing. It feels too early to be that cold. But what do I know? Otherwise, work's been great. It's picking up. It's been a little slow for a while for me. And um, just in the last week, it picked up, you know, double time. So it's cool to have stuff on my plate and not have to search to be productive, but actually have a whole bunch of stuff headed my way and all stuff I'm really excited about. So how about you? Yeah, cold, definitely. We're we're in fall, which is really nice. We've, I've been doing a bunch of walks with, you know, Emily and Bo, my dog. Um, we try to go out every day and just all the leaves are turning and you get to see all the different colors and stuff like that. So that's been pretty special. Um, we were been looking forward to that. So, but like you were saying, it's cold. We have to get rid of, you know, make sure we turn off the watering our lawns, our sprinkler system. So we don't pipes don't freeze all that kind of stuff. So no the adulting part pipes. Of, yeah, the adulting part of, you know, going into fall and winter. So, um, but yeah, other than that, you know, uh, work's been really great. Um, you know, just things have been busy. We're actually getting ready. Emily will be at, um, doing Artist Alley at Animated Rascon in Council Bluffs. So if you're in the Omaha metro area and want to come see us this uh, Friday through Sunday, uh, we'll be at the Mid-America Center there, and that's going to be great. So the past two weeks, actually, have just been lots of preparing for that, ordering a lot of stuff, setting stuff up, preps, get, making sure all of our prints came in. We also got her website launched, which is emmyandpink.com. That was, that was a lot of fun to get that going and really proud of her for all the work she's been doing. Yeah. Kinda... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say, uh, for those who don't know, Tanner and Emily are like some weird artist couple. And by weird, I mean I love them both. But they're both wildly talented, Emily especially. She's doing that Nebraska Con thing, which is going to be awesome. Um, you guys are there Friday through Sunday, you said? Yep. Yep. We'll be heading I'll to come Omaha on Thursday, so it should be a good time. And it's oh, not a very expensive yeah. convention, which is nice, too. I think the big, the most expensive part is the food. You're not allowed to bring stuff in, so we're trying to plan in our meals. Watch and me, together. <laughs> right? <laughs> I grew up sneaking food into a movie theater. I can do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, how's your week been? Busy, 
it's busy. Yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing new on that front. I'm glad I don't have to mow my lawn anymore. Um, I put my lawnmower up for good. Uh, some people love. It's kind of a cliche that like men love mowing lawns. I, I find that a complete lie. I hate that task. I think it's stupid. I'm also don't really like going outside though, so that's why I'm so pasty. Uh, no, it's 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 all good. I'm, I love October. It's my birthday. It's my favorite holiday. October's the best month. Great. All right. Um, so let's kind of just jump into our topics here. So we had, I was sitting in a um, call at work with one of our clients and we got talking about how, so for those who may not know, I work in IT staffing and I get to work with all, all sorts of amazing people at different companies who are looking to bring in IT talent to their company. And I was talking with a hiring manager who was, I believe, a director of technology or VP or something like that. And he was kind of talking about how, you know, they have their teams set up. And one of the questions that came up was kind of what's the difference between a project-based team or company and a product-based team or company? And I thought it was so fascinating because this is something that not coming originally from the software development world or in a bigger business that has lots of intricate parts and has all these delivery schedules and things like that. You know, I come from the small business world. I never dealt with this kind of stuff. And I immediately thought like, oh, why I would enjoy talking about these things too. So you want to kind of touch base what that is and the difference? Sorry, wrong space bar. Absolutely. So project versus product is really cool. Um, and, and I, I want to, I want to clarify that there's not a right answer to this product versus project. In fact, more often than not, you need a good mix of both, but let me find it real quick. They had a really good blurb at the top. Anyways, so the, the, this is the, I couldn't say it better than they did, so I'm just going to read this. The focus of project-based is always output. It's always output, um, which is basically delivering the requirements, assuming customer expectations. And then the product-based output that uh, focuses on outcomes rather than outputs, and I know those sound exactly the same, but there's a really good delineation between outcomes and outputs. Output is something you're producing, right? And an outcome is something you're hoping to achieve. So a product, your output is going to be your product. What do you hope to achieve with that product? That's the outcome versus um, outputs. But uh, so project focuses on what you want to achieve ultimately with said product or whatever, or project, not exactly what you're creating. And I thought that was a really good delineation. The one thing that... Um this hiring manager talked about too, that I'll add to that was he talked about specifically projects are more a set in time. So they have an endpoint. So you have a certain amount of resources, you go, you do your tasks and then you design your team around it to end. Product teams are more around smaller sprint cycles where it's constantly going through the motions, refining, keeping the customer um, more at focus, you know, and being more adaptable, but there's no set time to it. And it, for it just to end and the team to dissolve, it's more of a long-term commitment. And this just really got me thinking too about not only how things should be done in business, but um, how we can translate a lot of these principles into our daily lives. So I've been, I spend a lot of time thinking about not how 
you know, I can utilize business concepts to make my days and, you know, my efforts and my wants and everything like that a little bit more efficient. Because uh, if it works at a large scale, why can't it work at a small scale? Um, and I, I just really, really thought about goal setting and how, you know, it shouldn't be about project based. It really should be more product based. It shouldn't be about like hitting a, a specific time and having a finish line, but be more about, you know, the effort, the continuous effort, the smaller little ramp up sprint cycles, the little mini wins and not that going for that big, you know, again, that big finish line. Yeah. And here's where I, I wanted to play devil's advocate with you. Sure. Because you're, you're not wrong, but you can't have one without the other, as mm-hmm. married with children would say. Um, and, and what I mean by that is if you, if you are 100% product-based instead of project-based, where's the limit? Where's the time frame? Where do you hold yourself or your company responsible? That's why projects are there. Everything is based around time. Everything in business is based around time, whether you want it to or not. Of course, product thinking, it'll continually iterate and grow and get bigger. But how do you do that? With projects and by setting timeframes. That's why I don't think this is a one or the other type of situation. I think, well, you're right. I think in, especially in a more online, maybe even SaaS product where something will continually build and get better. Product thinking is essential, is, 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 is paramount. But you can't just be pure product or you'll never launch. You'll never have a finished product. You will never be able to sell something because it won't be done. Projects help you put boxes around it. And I know everyone's like, oh, think outside the box, blah, 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 blah. But this, this is reality. This is business. Everything is time-based. You have to get a product to market. And how do you do that? With projects. So you're not wrong. Being, being product focused allows it to iterate, to grow, to be better than you even imagined originally, but you have to set some parameters for yourself or you'll, you'll, you'll just spin your, spin your wheels and come up with this amazing product in your mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's one of those things where you need to have certain timeframes and metrics and, and goals. Um, I just, you know, like you're saying, it's a balance. So, right. What I often see and. I've been completely guilty of in the past, whether it be, you know, um, things I work on. So I'll just, we talked about art previously. So I'll have a big project that I, um, get commissioned to do and I, it'll have a deadline. I have to deliver, you know, so many paintings, so many, whatever, by a, a amount of time. What I often find myself doing though, is I will just push and I'll, I'll just grind really hard to get all those things done. I just put my head down. I do the effort. I, you know, get everything done. I'm there, deliver the product, and then I'm dead. <laughs> I'm famished, and I, I just mm-hmm. kind of burn myself out from doing it. And like you're saying, that really the balance, though, compared to being more product focused, is one. I keep my head up, so I'm look, you know, I'm more adaptable. I'm looking more forward thinking, not just you know, nose to the grindstone as it would be. And also, once I deliver or hit a certain, you know, metric or whatever, once I finish those paintings, I can continue on. And so then I have the next thing that I'm working towards the next thing. So, you know, I really like that concept and I'm interested in diving a little deeper to you where those exact balances might be, because I see so many different parallels, even in myself with different goals that I have. So like a common one for me has been, um, you know, weight loss, let's say like that. So for a longest time, I was like, oh, I gotta get down to 200 pounds. And then you would, you do that and like, oh, I gotta get down to the next one, the next one, you know, and it really shouldn't be about that specific 
I guess maybe you're the measurable at the end needs to be the discussion point because to me, that's where I would find the pro I almost align my goals to like a project and I would hit that, but then I either, I would be done. And then all the thing, the efforts that I did leading into it, I would cease doing, and then I would go back to unhealthy eating or unhealthy habits and things like that. Or I just wouldn't have that sense of fulfillment and you would just want to get more and more. So rather focusing on the micro wins, the, the daily efforts, the weekly efforts and those things, and really tracking those things in relation to where I've been. Um, and I guess this is more of the tracking where, where I am now to where I've been rather than tracking where I am now to where I want to be. And yeah. where is that balance? Absolutely. And, and with, with project thinking, if so, let's, let's use fitness, for example, both mm -hmm. you and I are on our own little fitness journeys, I guess. <clears throat> um, my original, when I, when I, when I finally buckled down, I was like, I'm going to go to the gym. My original plan was to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. I, you know, I had a, a number in mind I'd like to see, and I thought it was rational and doable. And, but the problem with pure project thinking is you kind of set your expectations and your goals at the beginning. And those are set, not necessarily in stone, but for the most part, you write out your goals and whatever you do, but things change. Things always change, which was why anyone who's ever spent five minutes in any sort of business has heard agile, right? It's called agile for a reason, uh, because people change priorities, change budgets, change, whatever the problem, things change and you have to be able to adapt quickly. So for me, I went in saying, I'm going to lose, well, let's say 15, 20 pounds, whatever. And then I really got into weightlifting and I've never been into weightlifting in my life, but I got really into it. I do it five days a week now. I love it. And you know what happened? I gained weight. I lost a bunch and then I gained it. But what I found and, and I weighed myself once I was like, ah, oh, dang it. I'm going backwards. What's going on with me? You know, I got to get my diet on track, but it wasn't that my body was changing. I was gaining weight, but you know what? My body was looking better. So my priorities, mm -hmm. my, my, my goal changed. And that's, in my mind, that's product thinking, right? The product mm -hmm. is my health or I want to look sexy. You know, that's a product. I'm the product instead of I'm the project. And it also changes your, your, your thought process a little bit um, when you're dealing with yourself necessarily is uh, I'm a product. I'm not a project, right? I think that, that it, it's, it sounds more positive to me too, versus I'm going to lose 15 pounds. And then when I weighed myself and I realized I went backwards, I could have stopped. I said, Oh, project was a failure, but no, I stepped back and I evaluated. I, I looked at those different KPIs, those different measurements, sometimes physical measurements and realized, Oh, no, this is good. This is good. Changing, being able to be agile and change how I was viewing things instead of being rigid with my original project plan. I was able to switch gears and say, you know what? This is awesome. I'm loving what I'm doing. I feel good about myself. I look better in the mirror. Let's keep going. So project versus product. Actually, now that I think about it, uh, exercise is a really good example for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've just been spending all the last, I don't know, since Friday, um, I guess to, you know, really thinking about how I can take this mentality through, you know, different things with work, but also, you know, in my personal life. And just like you were saying with your fitness stuff, you're, you realized that you, what you were originally setting out for wasn't actually what you needed. And so many times when we're project-based, we feel like we know at least the majority of the available, the variables that we want. We feel like we know the outcome 
we desire. And in many times we're wrong. We're asking the wrong questions. We have the wrong information. You know, we don't, we're predicting um, what the future, what our future selves are or future customers want. And we don't actually have all the facts. And so like, like you were saying, we need to, you know, be adaptable, be agile to um, really one, ask the right questions, find the right answers, and then make the right pivots and adjustments to do that. And so many times, you know, again, I'll just throw myself under the bus. I would, I would have some grand vision and, you know, with, let's say it was a, some previous project that I was going to be doing. Uh, so I would, I would dream it up in my head. I would have that finished painting or the finished product or the finished, you know, whatever done. And then I would just try to get there. And the whole time I'd be frustrated because I wouldn't have like a necessarily a set path because I didn't know where, what the path that I would need to take to actually end up there. And I would just be frustrated and again, burned out. And the product I would have may turn out to be great, but it wasn't what was in my head because what what's in my head isn't real. Um, so just taking it back to more essential elements and process driven and say like, okay, I know I want an outcome. You know, I want to be healthier. I do maybe at the end want to lose weight and that could be in the form of losing fat, you know, or those things, um, more of a macro thing, or I want to service my customers better, or I want to have a certain type of customer, or I want to have a certain, um, grow my customer base. And you might again, go through those, those motions and find that your original thing you asked for wasn't quite what you wanted, but you're going to get there anyway. And I just, I really love that because again, the focus is keeping it small, being small steps, being consistent. Um, but I completely agree with what you're saying is you can also get lost in the effort and actually not actually go anywhere. Right. So you always have to make forward steps. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, whether we're dealing with personal goals and ambitions or in a business sense, you know, I I've learned the hard way that rigid thinking is, it can be the death of a lot of things. Um, I'm uh, lean six Sigma. I'm going to talk about this pretty much every, every episode. Cause that's who I am. I'm, uh, I love that stuff. I learned the hard way that not every problem can be solved with that. And I know if you're a lean six Sigma guy, you're going to come, Oh, why, what the hell do you know you're talking about? Trust me. You know, I'm, I'm working on a project right now at work <clears throat> and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm working with a guy who I've, 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 I've only heard about and, and I finally get on some meetings and this guy is awesome. Like, I'm like, will you, Oh my gosh, will you be my mentor? I hope he's not watching this podcast. Anyways, <laughs> this guy is so smart and he's a, he's an agile guy, scrum, agile, all these fancy words. And he's showing me this stuff. He's like, okay, this project is really complicated, which means agile is going to be garbage for it. And I was like, whoa, hold on. What is it? You're an agile dude. And it's me telling you six Sigma stupid and you know, not good at math. Right. Um, he's like, no, hear me out. And he explained it and he walked me through. He's like, People who say this project is going to be purely agile or this project going to be purely lean or, or traditional project management. That's where projects ultimately fail. And I was like, okay, but, and then I started thinking about, it. I was like, yeah, because as I dig through and I've done lean six Sigma projects, sometimes you dip in agile Kanban, all of these theories and problem solving tools and techniques, they all get kind of thrown into your toolbox and you dig them out as you need them. But if I just sat through one of these books and page by page and did each, you know, project artifact and did it officially, like I was trying to get a new certification and lean, ultimately it'd fail. I'd look cool. I'd have a lot of cool stuff. You know, my Excel would be on point, but two weeks down the road, nothing would change. The business would be like, oh, Wyatt, thanks. You just wasted a bunch of our time and money. 
So it's it's a toolbox is, is, is the way he was explaining to me. You have to have multiple skill sets. You have to be able to draw from those when things change. And one problem will never solve or one solution will never solve one problem, especially if they're complex. The more complex, the more you need to pull from something else or get someone else's opinion or bring other people in because very rarely do you know everything, right? Which is mm -hmm. fair. And I was like, man, he's so smart. Yeah. No, I love that because... You know, just to tie it in, even with the themes of our podcast and things like that, you know, it's trying to solve one is just trying to solve problems, um, that you, you know, you interact with for, you know, people around you, yourself, you know, eventually the goal is to have a customer base. If you want to start a business and those things, then so many times, you know, we're taught, you know, a very rigid structure of like, oh, you need to sit down, gather all the data, uh, build this like ornate business plan do these things and then you can launch your business. But in reality, there's so much value to just starting and doing. And the same goes, I, I was the worst at this. Oh, I need to learn this application or I need to learn how to do this. And I would watch the, you know, the Skillshare videos or YouTube videos or Udemy courses and different things. But like you're saying, none of it actually was, I could tie to specific actions and specific use cases and tie into all these different problems and variables. I didn't retain it the same way. Um, sometimes just getting out and doing things and failing is, is, is one of the best ways you can move forward. Um, you know, as you're saying, starting a business, you know, we all do the same things. We all watch the YouTube videos. Some of us pay for a thousand dollar course online or get, go through whatever service or system. And those are, those are awesome. Those are extremely valuable tools that should not be your only tool because sometimes innovation just comes from whatever sounds good at the time. And more importantly, like you said, action, there's way more value in action than all the planning in the world sometimes. Uh, Cause you know, I've thought for years, man, I should start a podcast and you know what? We just did it. And honestly, I don't want to undersell us here, but it wasn't that complicated. Right? Yeah. Well, I've been telling everybody, it's like, you need to start a podcast. If you've been on a Zoom call, which post COVID, it seems like everyone has, you're just recording it and putting it out to the world. I mean, there Bingo. is a certain amount of prep work and, you know, just to have a topic already or whatever, but so much of it is just a conversation, which I, I love. Um, so another thing that I was listening to this weekend that I kind of wanted to tie in all to, all to this was, um, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson had Dr. Andrew Huberman on talking about the difference between or the tie-ins with neuroscience and psychology and things like that. And they went in really deep talking about dopamine rewards and the dopa, dopaminergic system, if I can say that word, um, dopaminergic. Um, and there were some really neat tie-ins. One is um, we get almost all of our validation from the wanting. Um, I know you and I both read a book called Dopamine Nation. That's I was just going to quote it. Fantastic. Yeah. Anyone out there read dopamine nation. It will yeah, change that, your perspective on the reward system and how you are happy. Change, uh, great recommendation. Yep. Yeah, that one's by Dr. Anna Lemke. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, but one of the things they talk about, you know, we don't dopamine is, is a liar essentially because it thinks you want the reward and you actually get those things. And I've had so many times it's, you're looking at a, you know, like a new computer or a new system and all this stuff. And you, all the anticipation is the thing you buy the thing and it doesn't matter. And we, and we waste, you know, we waste all those times. And so many times we're racing towards a finish line, you know, that big project that we're going on at the end, it doesn't really matter. It's the chase that does it. 
Um, so if you take it more towards the, you know, the, the product base where the, you know, the, the customer is more the focus, you're more doing it more in mini sprints and things like that. Um, it has a lot more power to it. And you also get a lot more uh, um, mental gratification, mental um, dopamine from it. And one of the neat things I learned from the podcast was when you get a large amount of dopamine into your system, your neuroplasticity actually increases. So your ability to learn and retain increases as well. So if you're in a state of, you know, being in that high amount of dopamine, you're actually remembering the things better, focused on it better, um, which is absolutely fascinating. Hmm. The other thing that um, I found really interesting too is we get more dopamine when we actually do activities that we value. Um, so that's another reason to keep it close, keep it personal, feel more, um, you know, that it's more present and real and that you're almost achieving it rather than some long distance goal. Because I was thinking about this recently where like, oh man, I, I find myself always doing cheat days with food when I shouldn't. It's like, there's no real benefit to me having that pizza, but it, it sounds good now. And because my, you know, my goal is far away, oh, I want to be at this weight and that's off in the future. Future Tanner will, of course, hit that goal. I don't think about it in the present sense. And so I just have the pizza. But if I'm more, you know, thinking about it locally and present based, I'm not a person. I, I would think of myself more as a healthy person, a person who wouldn't want to eat that pizza, not just a person who wants to lose weight. And I thought that was just so fascinating. So, you know, really just doing these as they refer to it, I took some notes here, closed dopamine, closed dopaminergic circuits, do things to completion, build micro routines. I just, I thought it was so neat how it kind of ties into what I've been thinking about with, you know, business sense, doing things more micro sprints, things like that, keeping it more focused on the customer and those things at hands rather than this big, large, grand transformational project that we're going to have to teach all these people how to use the new system and assess adoption rate. And you're going to have all this fall off and all this other stuff. I'm like, no, keep it small, keep it micro. And you can do that, whether any scale of business, and you can do that in your life. That beautifully said, um, in, in terms of like entrepreneurship, that's a great thing. You know, everyone's like, Oh, I, I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna start a business. I want to make a million dollars. Let's start say a million dollars. Okay, cool. Dude, you don't even have a business yet. You don't have a product. You don't have a website. You don't have, you don't even have a plan, but you want to make a million dollars. Cool for, you know, that, and that's nice and wonderful. And maybe a couple of years down the road, you'll reach that. But what if your first goal was to, uh, I don't know, make a Facebook page, bam, that's super easy. And then you do it and it's checked off your list and you're like, Oh, that, that wasn't that complicated. And that's a quick win. And that's a dopamine hit because mm -hmm. you did something. You moved yourself forward saying you want to make a million dollars in your new business that you have no idea what that business is. That's that doesn't do anything for you. That's no value. That's non-value add. And it doesn't do anything dopamine wise, except maybe the fantasy. We all like thinking about what if we won the lottery? We all love thinking about that, right? What if well, I won that, $900 that million? Dollars? <laughs> I was just going to say in that your analogy, I really love it too, because you get a dopamine hit for doing the Facebook page and you get a dopamine hit for getting the million dollars. Once you're done with that though, you're, you crash down below baseline where you yeah. were before. So you're going to want another hit. So why mm -hmm. not have small obtainable goals that you can keep doing? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I want a million dollars too, but there's things I got to do to get there. Um, 
unless any of you want to give me a million dollars. For example, we got the notification that we got 10 views of our first podcast episode. I was stoked. 10 people? Heck yeah. You know, and then the next day, I, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm not high off 10 views anymore. Now I'm like, oh, okay, well, next week we, we've got our next uh, podcast scheduled and then you start thinking what's the next step and and it's it's like a staircase instead of me saying i want fifteen thousand monthly podcast downloads that's great but that's that's way up here that's 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 dreaming right now instead here i'm like oh i got 10 the step to get to 10 is i had to start a podcast right and that gave me a huge dopamine hit and made me want to do more but you're right. There's that drop off at the end. You're like, okay, now get my crap together. What's the next step of this iterations? It's beautiful. It's well said. Yeah. And in the podcast, um, Dr. Andrew Huberman talked about actually you do once you get the item. So once you obtain whatever you're seeking, you actually do dip below, uh, um, in your brain, the chemicals you dip below your baseline. So there's this like certain amount of high ramping up a peak right before you get what you want. When you get it, it dives deeper below. And so you have to go seek the next thing. And that's how, and the dopamine nation talks about that, that drives a lot of addictive behavior and things like that, where you're constantly chasing and chasing and chasing. Yeah. And so if you're, again, if you're chasing this big finish line, it's, you're going to, even if you get it, you're going to have the same payoff as if you were doing smaller things the whole way. It should be about the journey, not about the destination. Yeah. Which is hard to, hard to convince people. Um, no one wants the journey. They just want the million dollars, but yeah. or, or the business wants that big, you know, that big project paid off. Right. You oh, know, that's why they, the big product owners and different things like that. They have these lofty ambitions. They sell this, the grand vision. And then in their mind, it's they're already there. They're done. They just have to, you know, let the people execute. And that's not, that's not really a great way to do business. How I would feel. What would you say the benefit of that drop off after you achieve a small goal? you have the dopamine drop off. Uh, what would you say that the, the biological benefit of that drop off is? Do you think gets you to go hunt again or go pick more berries? Love it. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Oh, I love, you know, just a quick recap, you know, the difference between you know, being product based versus project based. A lot of it just comes down to, um, timelines, which we did establish are important. You do need an actual, you know, place you're going, but you know, don't make it about the finish line. Don't make it about the destination, make it about the journey going there. And we can incorporate that, you know, in our business lives, we can, you know, incorporate that into our personal lives. And then you actually, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing the whole way through, you're going to learn better. You're going to enjoy yourself better. And man, being addicted to the process is so much better than being addicted to a potential outcome. Nope, you're muted again. Space bar. <laughs> How easy is it to drop off from a goal that's too lofty, that's unreachable? I want a million dollars. I'm going to start a business business to do that. I bet you, with if that's all you're running off of, you're going to last a couple days, maybe a week, right? Versus those iterations, those quick wins, those dopamine hits that get you hunting for berries again. Not only do they feel good, you enjoy it, you want to do more, but it gets you to that goal versus just dreaming and, you know, wishing yep. that I won that lottery. So no. Yep. And, and then there's so far in the future too, you're far away from the reality where, where your customers are or your friends or people around you are, and you're just disconnected. 
So how are you actually going to, you know, benefit those around you when you're off in dreamland in the future? And that's it. And, and back to project versus product project based mentality allows you to live in reality. But the, the product-based thinking, whether it's business or personal life, as we discussed, allows you to kind of reach new goals you didn't think were possible. So they keep you grounded, but also allow you to achieve things that you probably wouldn't have achieved with your lofty original project plan. So no, that they're they're there are two separate tech tactics that need to be worked in together, really, for success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so let's go into our weekly news section. You said you had some goodies for us. I do. I do. I'm so excited. I'm starting to really love this because <laughs> I, I, I search around for rural, more, less, less, less common places where you find success. And it's been a blast. I've learned so much. Now, do you remember the country I, re- I quoted a story from last week? Do you remember the country? India. Okay. You're right. But do you remember the other story? It's in Europe. Bolivia. Bolivia is not in Europe. I don't Bolivia's know. in South. Anyways, all right. Never <laughs> mind. All right, let's start this again. All right. <laughs> Last week, I told a story about a, a a company that was based in Tallinn, Estonia. Estonia, Estonia okay. is on the border of Russia and uh, across the Baltic from Finland. Uh, now I'm going to go back to Tallinn because apparently a lot of really cool things are happening in, in Estonia, specifically Tallinn. Um, so there's this company and they're called Gridio and I'm probably butchering that. This is Eastern European stuff, right? So it's probably pronounced different, but, but bear with me. So with the Russian Ukraine war, um, what's going on is m- most of Europe is terrified of what the winter is going to bring them in terms of energy, right? We've read it across, uh, you know, uh, Germany is, is right now they're, they're kind of in a panic. How are we going to heat our homes? We received, you know, 30, 45% of our heating from Russia and that's shut off, whatever. So what's, what's happening is this, this company called Gridio, they originally created an app that was used to help electric car vehicle owners, electric vehicle owners, kind of identify the best times to charge their vehicle to avoid peak energy hours and to save them money. Essentially you tied it in with your, your charging unit and your vehicle. And what you do is you use this app essentially and say, Hey, I need this car by 8am tomorrow so I can get to work. What it will do is it works with your system and says, Hey, if you can wait till 10 PM to charge it, you'll, you're out of peak electricity hours. You're going to save this much money and you'll still be ready to go at 8 AM instead of charging it at five or six o'clock when everyone gets home and turns on all their lights and starts cooking and energy skyrockets. So this, this app has been used by 15,000 people or something for their electric vehicles over in that, over in, in that part of uh, Europe. Uh, like I said, uh, I think Finland, Germany, that it's gaining some European traction for electric car vehicle because people are saving serious money instead of charging it at peak hours. So what they're doing is they're taking that same concept, their same app essentially, and repurposing it for homes. How can people in Europe right now utilize this app to better use their energy at non-peak hours and to save themselves money? Because what's going to happen is you'll be able to heat your home, but at what cost financially? 
if we're constantly, it, we have the same thing here and we talk about it. It's, it's kind of a running joke is when is it okay to turn on your thermostat, you know, or turn on your heater, right? Because I said it was 18 degrees last night. I did not turn on my heater and my kids were mad at me. That's neither here nor there. Essentially, what this does is it, 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 the goal is to save people money and lots of money, and it's gaining a lot of traction. And as such, they just landed $100 million, or $100 million, geez, 1 million euros to help bolster and kind of change and adopt their app because their app is now geared towards serving this population of Europe that has no idea what this winter is going to bring for them and uh, whether they're going to be able to heat their homes at all or at, you know, best case scenario, being able to heat their homes, but at what cost and how expensive is that energy bill going to be? They'll be able to use this that was originally designed for electric cars to identify when it would be better for them to, I don't know, turn on their TV or turn on their heater, you know, and, you know, is it going to be better to turn it on and set a thermostat to turn your heater on at 10 p.m. instead of 8 p.m. or whatever it is. And uh, you can tie it into the system so it automatically does it for you. It's really clever stuff. Yeah, I think, um, what is it, Nest Thermostat? It's been out for a little while. Yep. They have a similar mm -hmm. thing. It's like they use the analogy of a, you know, like a traffic jam. You know, every if everyone's turning on their heaters, you know, right as it gets hot or turns on or right as it gets cold or turns on their air conditioners right as it gets hot, then you have this giant congestion. So if you, what they'll do is uh, with different models or different things, I imagine this app does too, you can kind of anticipate, um, you know, when stuff's going to happen so you can prepare before so you're not overloading the energy grid, you're not getting those peak services and things like that. And it's, it's so genius for, you know, one reason is you are, again, identifying and solving a problem. I love in their example too, where they were using one, you know, one use case and realized, oh man, it's also applicable to this and this, and now it's more important than ever because we're having, you know, everyone's having this problem so we can solve it for a much more large amount of people. Uh, just, I love it. I absolutely love. It. And the other thing too, is like the more information they can gather from that, you know, and things they can use that to give more and more effective services and things like that, more accurate information to even spread it out and save people more money, which is great. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it really appealed to me because it's, it's a company that was on track to do really well for themselves, adapting their product to better mankind. People are terrified over in Europe about how they're going to heat their homes this winter. And this company is adapting, adapting themselves using some, their skill set and, and the tools they have to help people. Thousands and thousands of people can gain benefit from this. And, uh, that is, that's, that, that, that to me is, is what we're here for, right? To Absolutely. help people and to use things to make people's lives that much better. So prop to you, props to you, Gridio. I hope you guys do wonderful in the future. Um, I'll be keeping up with this company. Absolutely. All right. What's the next one we got? Next one, not a business per se, but it is a topic. It's an article. This is an article from Forbes. I found titled never underestimate the power of business mentoring. Okay. I'm interested. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> Virgin startup, Virgin startup did a study that found 75% of new founders have used a business mentor with 56% of those people getting advice from friends or family. And 39% using a professional mentor, meaning someone like a, a, a coach of some sort, essentially. But of those just thinking about starting their own business, only 
only about 40% said they had plans to actually seek out a coach. The other 60 said they had zero intention of finding someone to reach out to, to mentor, uh, to mentor them, to ask them, to ask the person questions and reciprocate. So, um, Virgin Startup is one of the UK's largest uh, entrepreneurial mentoring programs. They, they, similar things, they hold workshops, they have, you know, um, there's a group and hundreds of people go through this thing. And it's, I think it's a 12 month program of support where they also hook you up with a mentor and they help you get your entrepreneurial goals off the ground. Lots of startup, things like that. Um, there's lots of them in the U S but this is one of the largest in the UK. Um, so they're the ones who did the study. So they, they have a lot of data essentially. I have a, I have this, I have this blurb once once again from Forbes, it says managing director, Andy Fishburne says, from our research, we can see that there is a disconnect between people who are running businesses, who have mentors and see value in it, and those who are planning to start a business and don't necessarily understand the benefits of mentoring. It's a, it has huge value, especially when times are tough. Having someone on your side who can provide that experience and honest and objective feedback, who can challenge you but also support you is incredibly important. It's pretty easy to agree with that statement, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So new business founders are able to ask these people anything. And, and this is, this is not just virgin startup anymore in the UK. This is, this is entrepreneurial in general, finding a mentor, having someone to bounce things off of. You're able to ask them anything from general business questions to specific marketing or finance questions, right? This is, this is valuable stuff. And I think a lot of people who get into the entre entrepreneurial mindset, either look at mentoring as essential or completely unnecessary. There's like, it's, it seems like a black and white thing, right? Um, so my question for you, Tanner, have you ever in your past, and then we'll get into the future or present, but in the past, have you had someone who you looked up to and either officially or unofficially mentored you in, in business? Yeah, I would say every step of my career in business or in art or whatever I've done, I've had someone fill that seat. Uh, and it's been so valuable to me. One is having someone who can help you avoid certain pitfalls so you can keep, um, you know, going forward is so big, but also just having accountability, someone that you respect and look up to and that you want to, in some ways, make proud of you. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, someone to always you know, strive to help you be better. And having that person is, is so invaluable. And we, we had that mm -hmm. when we started the companies, we would seek out, we had peer groups and people that would help us out and different things, but also had a lot of people in my local community that I worked for, former bosses, um, you know, just different, different people that just helped me along the way. And it's great to build a network of those because one, um, you, they'll be good for you at certain points of your life and then they won't be as relevant, but you can always stay connected and they'll be there to help you and support you even if you don't need them you know, every moment like you used to. Um, and then, you know, they can, you can also connect um, new people to them or they can connect people, you know, who are just starting their journey to you and you can kind of share that chain and that network of it, which is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, similar. Um, you know, I, I took the corporate route um, and I, I've worked lots of different jobs, lots of, lots of industries, every single job I've ever had. I can think of one person who I found I looked up to now. Don't be wrong. I also would, when I was young and arrogant, found lots of people who I was like, I'll never be like that. Um, I, I grew up, I grew up and matured, but there's always been one person who 
intentionally or unintentionally gave me advice one day and I look up to him like, wow, will you be my mentor? Um, no, not, not that creepy, but people who I will hold on to in my heart for the rest of my life, who taught me valuable lessons, who I, I was able to bounce things off of. I got into my career because of one person. And I don't think that, that, that poor man ever just want, woke up one morning and be like, I want to be Wyatt's mentor. No, he had no interest in that whatsoever. Silly guy just walked into it. And I owe him so much because he, he kind of put me on a path. Um, but so let's talk about this for people who may be starting a journey, who want to start a business, who want to do something like mm -hmm. that. What do you think off the top of your head? I know I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't ask you this question before we got on here. Where do you think someone could go to find a mentor? Or do you think at, at the very least someone who they can bounce ideas off of? You know, the answer is really pretty much anywhere. Um, and that's the beauty of it. You know, one of the things we really want to start doing more with this podcast too, is just reach, reach out to people we interact with who have a really interesting story and history and things like that, and let them tell their story and learn their wisdom from that. So you can almost interact with, Anybody um, who you would immediately kind of look up to, reach out to them in your community, uh, you know, neighborhood, region, whatever, and then just um, ask basic questions to start and provide some value and connection, um, things to go, and then naturally that'll help. The other thing is just starting work, getting to job, you know, getting a job. You'll be amazed at the people you'll interact with. Absolutely. Um, as you were talking, I. I feel like most of the time, I've, most of the jobs that I've taken in the past that hold value to me, I did it not because of the job, but because of the, per the people I could work with, you know, and that's one of the things that impressed me so much about my current job is um, my boss. Now, the first time we met, we talked for two and a half hours on the phone and we went over everything and he was open and they, I just, there's so much I can learn and go. And that just got me excited more about than the, the tasks I would do it or the money I could make or the clients I would have and things like that. It was more. What could I learn and the value and what could I grow from that? I love that. So yeah. I would, don't think that you have to have some prestigious person. You have to go online and, you know, reach out to the CEO of some fortune 500 company, you know, look in your local community. Even if you're in a small town, like Southwest in Southwest Nebraska, there's so many people that you can just learn so much valuable things from. Yeah. Who do you, who do you admire? And you know what? I think people are scared to, you know, don't go up to somebody like, Hey, sir, will you be my mentor? That's not it. But I think you would be shocked how much people would be flattered and honored to answer your questions. Just their opinion. Hey, I have this problem. What do you think about this? It has to be that it can be that simple. And someone would be like, Oh, you want my opinion? Wonderful. Um, you know, I, I have, I've, I've had, I've had mentors before official ones and unofficial ones. Like I said, they may not have known they were my mentor, but they were, uh -huh. um, and they, they could be business related. My biggest mentor in my life is my wife's grandpa. Uh, this man, in, in my opinion, is like Superman. He's an ex district judge. He's got a doctorate in law and he's probably the kindest man I've ever met in my life. So someone with that big of heart and that big of a brain, he is a source of information. And I pick his brain every second, whether it's about world politics, whether it's about business and he doesn't know crap about business. Uh, you know, he's a judge. He knows, he, he knows about law, which is also fascinating. If I'm ever watching a murder document, I'll call him up like, Hey Jack, what do you think about this? Do you think that should have happened? Uh, but who do you admire? And, and I guarantee you think, think about it uh, in, in reverse. If someone younger than you, less experienced than you, Tanner came up 
and said, hey, Tanner, what would be a good software maybe to start doing? I want to do some digital art. Um, would you be like, figure it out yourself? You have Google. You wouldn't do that, right? No. And the people who are the most passionate about stuff are the ones who want to share it the most. Yeah. You know, if you, if you genuinely know something and you care about something, you want to spread the gospel. You want to, you know, say the word and tell everyone all about it because it's important and you're excited and you're genuine about it. And if you get, and, and I think that's the key thing too, like, don't go up to someone and just say, you know, will be, you be my mentor, but ask genuine questions, be genuinely interested, you know, uh, be polite in those regards, you know, make sure it's the appropriate setting to do that, those things, but yeah, be, be tactful yeah. and appropriate, but right. you, you, yeah. people but want to, people want to, to be approached and asked for their knowledge because it makes them feel good. And it makes them, it validates their own hard work when someone else recognizes that they might have an answer to a question. So yeah. absolutely. And to tie this into something else I was, um, listening to and thinking about this weekend, it was another, um, book I read by Arthur Brooks called from strength to strength. And it talked about kind of like the different stages of life or whatever, but you have two kind of forms of intelligence. There's, um, liquid intelligence, which you have very, when, um, when you're earlier and there's crystallized intelligence that you get when you're older. So when you're younger, you have the ability to come up with ideas quickly. You're sharper at that, but as you get older, you have the ability to communicate, I, you know, things better. So you're coming from being the student to the teacher in many different ways. And so as you know, people go through their lives, they really do genuinely want to share and teach and they retain those things. And the amount of knowledge that they have from all the examples they've been doing is, is immense. And so you can get so much value by just asking good questions, by genuinely listening, um, you know, doing all those things it's way better than Google searches, way better than a lot of YouTube videos. You don't need the thousand dollar an hour coach. You Sometimes you just need to bounce your ideas off of someone who's going to treat you with respect. And that could be and a mentor I, for that time. You know, and I've, um, I've been a part of one of those business coach things and I really, you know, the biggest thing that they do is they hold you accountable and you're like, man, you can for free get so many people that can hold you accountable. You Have know, you it was my wife. Yeah. Right. You know, and so actually forming relationships, being with people, being present in person, you know, I know we talked a lot about remote work and different things like that, but, you know, take benefit to where you are and really look around your community and those things. Or, you know, if you are in an online community, you can build those relationships too. It's just a little bit more difficult, but again, being more earnest and asking the right questions and being sincere will get you a long way. Yeah. Humility. And, and you said it, I mean, we talk about rural places. Sometimes you don't have access to the world's leading business, you know, CEOs, but there's a wealth of people online. And, and sometimes it takes a little humility to admit that you don't know everything and, and you want someone's help and you would be shocked to find people out there. But anyways, all right. Well, uh, I have taken up enough time tonight, Tanner, but I wanted to say, this has been fantastic. I enjoy these conversations. I look forward to these recordings now and, um, everyone who's been listening and who will listen in the future. Thank you so much. I hope you continue to listen and share, but, uh, man, I'm having a blast. How about you, Tanner? Yeah, no, it's been absolutely fantastic. The moment we post these, I want to do another one. 
you know, so we're not going to be crazy. We're going to hold ourselves so we can be sustainable. We're not going to burn out on them, but I really enjoy it. And again, thank you to everybody who's listened. If you haven't already, you know, subscribe to us on whatever platform you use, whether that be YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts. Um, I think Wyatt put us on Stitcher, which I know is uh, one of our good friends, favorite one. Um, so definitely we just appreciate you and uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye everyone.